0: Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church Chattahoochee. So, we have uh, just heard the reading of John 10, 1 through 21. And if you were with us a few weeks ago, you might know just from that that Kevin, who was uh, a missionary, he was one of Greg's friends, was here from the Middle East. And I actually had him teach on this very text. But when I began to prepare the bottom part of 10, I was drawn to the upper portion because I was trying to study the upper portion to get ready for the bottom, and I just couldn't bring myself to pass over some of the things. I think Kevin did a great job of teaching the text, but there were a couple of things in there that I wanted to build on, and so some of this might feel a little bit like review, But I think the main points will not, should not, and will not feel that way. Um, But I wanted to give you a little bit of explanation as to why we're doing the same verses. Some of you are going to go, we just did that, didn't we? And the answer is yes, we did. Peter Cameron Scott. He founded the African Inland Mission. He was born in 1867 in Scotland. And went out as a missionary to Africa as a young man. Like so many in that generation, he got malaria, had to come back to Britain. His second attempt to be a missionary to Africa was especially joyful because he was joined by his brother, John. But the joy evaporated as John fell victim to a fever. Scott buried his brother by himself, and at the grave, rededicated himself to preach the gospel. But again, his health broke, and he had to return to Britain, utterly discouraged. Some of you may be precisely at this point even now. You come in utterly discouraged. In London, while he was there, something remarkable happened he visited Westminster Abbey and he stood at the tomb of David Livingston. Some of you may not know David Livingston, but David Livingston had preceded him to Africa and had given his life as a missionary in Africa. He died of dysentery and malaria in 1873 and the, uh, the British government asked for his body but because David Livingston had given his whole life to missionary work in Africa. The Africans said, we don't want to give you his body. But they demanded legally that the body be returned. And it was buried at Westminster Abbey. But you know what the Africans did? They removed his heart. And they buried his heart in Africa. And they said, you can have his body. But Africa always had his heart. And there's a memorial in Africa where David Livingston's heart is buried, as well as Westminster Abbey, where his body is. And it was there that Peter Cameron Scott stood looking at the tombstone of David Livingston, and he read these words that actually are in our text today. And the words that were written on the gravestone were just this. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Those are the words of Jesus Christ when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them. God used these words to give him the confidence to go back to Africa where he spent the rest of his life and the fruit of his life still exists today on the continent of Africa. Those words gave him conviction that God had more and that God would use him in those lives for the kingdom. So, nowhere in all of Scripture Is Jesus Christ more clearly portrayed as a shepherd than in John 10? The discourse in which he presents himself as the good shepherd flows directly from our study preceding this in in chapter 9. The Lord continues to speak, so that you have a context for this, to the same group of people. He's talking in John 10, just as he was in John 9, to his disciples... He's talking to the man that was born blind, and he's talking to the hostile Pharisees. So that's the audience when Jesus says what he says in John 10. Look with me in your Bibles uh, again at John 10, 1 through 6. John 10, 1 through 6. Follow along with me if you can. Truly, truly... A stranger they will not follow, but they will, flee from, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he's saying to them. So, who is Jesus really talking to in this text? Think about it. If I break it down like this, the sheep pen is Israel. The door is Jesus. He says that in the text. The thieves and the robbers, in Jesus' little story, are actually the Jewish religious leaders. They're climbing into the pen of the people of Israel and they're stealing them away. They're trying to steal away the sheep. The watchman, I think, is God the Father. He opens the door for the Son to go in and gather the sheep. And ultimately, what Jesus is saying into the face of these religious Jewish leaders is he's saying, you're like these thieves and robbers. You're trying to steal the sheep. These people that are supposedly following me, but they don't get it because they believe that they came from the descendant of Abraham, that they're the chosen people, and so they can't, they can't really even hear what Jesus is saying. So in one sense, it's a lot like a parable. The parables in the Gospels are used to reveal to those that have ears the truths of the kingdom. But also, at the same time, parables will conceal the truths of the kingdom to those who will not hear. And this is like that. Jesus is saying, it's you. You're the ones jumping in the pen and trying to steal, kill, and take away. I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I will lay down my life for these sheep. But you, you're in it for personal gain. And and the nation of Israel had had good shepherds. They had had Moses, they had had Abraham, they had had David, but they also had had a lot of really, really bad shepherds. And on the screen, you'll see Jeremiah, when he says in chapter 23, 1 and 2, he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel Concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. And you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil works, declares the Lord. And so Israel has a long history of not just good shepherds, but bad shepherds. And God says, I will punish you. In contrast, Jesus is talking to the bad shepherds. And he says, they come to steal, kill, and destroy. But in John 10.10, 10, one of the more famous verses in the Bible, he says, I come to give abundant life. Or in the NIV, it says, life to the fool." I come different from them. In contrast to them, I come to give life to the fool. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'll lay down my life for the sheep. But you know what he says in the the text about the hired hand? Who's he talking about when he says the hired hand? He's talking about the religious Pharisee rulers. He says, "You you don't care about the sheep. When the wolf comes, you flee. You're in it to save your own neck. But I'll lay down my life for the sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. That's his point here. But like I said, they can't hear it. The Jewish religious leaders completely miss the indictment that is coming from Jesus to them. They completely miss it. They cannot see it. And that brings me to a question for us. How do we know? How do you know? How do I know? If we are like the Jewish religious leaders holding on to a false hope because that was indeed what the problem was with the Jewish religious leaders. They were the educated, they were the the religious, they were the looked up to in their community and they missed it. They missed it and even when Jesus is calling them out, speaking directly to it, they can't hear it. They can't see it. So what makes us as Christians, any different from them? How do we know we're not hanging on to a false hope? Right here in our text, in John 10, 16, which was the verse that I opened with with Peter, Cameron, Scott, that was the verse on the grave, the tombstone of David Livingston. And the verse reads this way, and I have other sheep, That are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. That's it right there. They will listen to my voice. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have other sheep that are not of the nation of Israel, that are not of this fold. I have other sheep that are not Jewish and... I must bring them also. In other words, they're not there yet. I've got to bring them also. So I would say, the Father has them before they come to Jesus. So Jesus is saying, I must bring them also, and they will, they will listen to my voice. And it's all in the future tense there, you see? And that's important because they first belonged to the Father before they actually come to Jesus. Interesting idea in the Scriptures there. The Father had chosen them before Jesus actually gets them. And all that the Father has chosen, He gives to the Son. That's actually Scripture from John 6. And so, we see what happens for those who are his, but what if you don't believe? What if you don't believe? What would that mean? Look in your Bibles at John 10, 26. The question is, what if you don't believe? What would that mean? John 10, 26, it says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You do not believe because you're not among my sheep. The answer is there in 26. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. Believing doesn't make you part of the flock. Being a part of his eternal flock enables us to believe. Believing shows that you are his from the foundation of the world. Your belief is proof that God is it work? And was it work? And if someone would say, well, if I'm part of this flock before I believe, then I didn't need to believe in order to be saved. He'd be denying the words of Jesus. Because Jesus says in verse 27, 1027, he says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They follow me. That's so key. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. So if I ask the question, how do we know if we are his or not? Well, that's easy, isn't it? The answer to that, how do we know if we're really truly his and not like the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders? Is easy. We go to church, and we give our money. And we we do good things to other people. And we're kind of religious. It's It's none of that. It's none of that. What it says right here in our text is that we follow him. We hear his voice and we follow. If we're not following him, if we're not hearing his voice... We should have no confidence that we truly know him. It is clear in the scripture that truly knowing him is hearing his voice and following. That's how we know. That's how we know. So it's not that when I was 10, I came down an aisle at a Baptist church and prayed to receive Christ. It's not that I got baptized. It's not any of those things. It's... Are you walking in obedience to him? Are you following him? Are you hearing his voice? That's the answer. Now, because of our verse and the way Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. They're not not from Israel. They're not Jewish. And I've got to go get them and bring them. It brings up this issue of God's, divine choice. He already has them. He's got to go get them, but he already has them. And this is where it gets hard because some of the things I'm going to say here are going to stretch you perhaps in your view of the scripture and in your view of God and I hope that's true because what I, what I hope happens is your view of God explodes, expands like the universe. Instead of thinking of God in this small way, now he becomes this massive, large God that is infinite. And this, I hope, will play into that and help in that way. So... Why do we talk about divine choice? One, it's right here in the text. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must go get them. Already has who they are. And then the other reason is, it's just all over the Bible. This idea of God choosing is all over the Bible. And I'm going to show it to you, I hope. I pray. I pray today that you will hear the beauty of God's sovereign choice because I'm convinced God wants you to know this truth and cherish it. Not just tolerate it, but to cherish it. That God would choose you. And so, it's here in our text, it's all over the Bible. Divine choice. It's not even just about men. First, before we get to creation and mankind, I want you to see Luke 9.35. Luke 9.35 says this, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God chose my chosen one. He even talks about the Son in this way. Now, In 1 Timothy 5.21, talking about divine choosing. In 1 Timothy 5.21, listen to what it says. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules. There were chosen angels by God. There was a chosen Messiah and even chosen angels and now let's look at Colossians 3.12, mankind. In Colossians 3.12, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones. So I'm not making it up. It's right there in the scripture. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, when I was in college and I had just Become a Christian, I went with a college ministry to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and there there was a, a you know i don 't know how many maybe maybe a thousand college students and we had a keynote speaker and a band that led us uh, in worship a uh, worship team and It was, for me, I was a brand new Christian, and I was sitting under the Word day in and day out, and I was growing like a weed spiritually, and it was really just a powerful time. But one of the sweet memories I have of that experience was when they would let us out, we would go down into the main part of Gatlinburg, and there were all these shops, and maybe some of y'all don't even know this aroma, but there were funnel cakes that were cooking And you could smell the funnel cakes coming down the street, you know. And as we would get closer to where they were cooking them, that sweet aroma, just fried bread and sugar, I guess, would just waffle under your nose, you know, and it would just kind of make the whole moment just kind of special. To this day, if I smell funnel cake, I remember those experiences, you know, and I connect it really quickly. I'm hoping, as I share these next several verses with you about God's divine choosing, that it will not be a smell of death, but it will be a smell of life. It'll be like funnel cake for you, and it will just be a sweet aroma. Look with me. I want you to actually, and I'm, I'm going to do this too. I started uh, to just share 1 Corinthians 1.27, But I looked at 26, and I said, you know, I really got to share that too. And I don't have that in my notes in 18-point font, so I have to put my glasses on. Um, Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. And let's see what the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians about this issue of divine choice. says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called meaning called to come to him. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And then 28, he chose... The lowly things of this world, and the despise things and the things that are not, uh, because of him, that you are in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying there is really, really, really important to understanding the gospel and living a life that is absorbed and filled with joy and fullness. You know why? Because what he's saying in that text is if you're sitting here and you're a Christian he chose despite you it wasn't because you were noble it wasn't because you were brilliant it wasn't because you were better than anybody else in the room he chose out of an unconditional favor an unconditional love which helps me because i tend to want to work for my salvation i tend to want to Prove that I can be good enough. But what God is saying is you can't be good enough. Clint, if you could be good enough, why would I send my son to die on a cross for your sins? I chose you not because you're great, not because you're noble, not because you're going to do something special. I chose you because I placed my favor on you and my love on you unconditionally we know it intuitively in our hearts with our children i watch some of you with your little kids and you want nothing more than for them to know that you cherish them and you'll hold them and you'll kiss them and when they're falling asleep in your arms you kiss them on the top of the head they don't even know you're kissing them but you do it just as a parent because it's so natural you love your children God wants us to experience that in a very similar way. And his using these words is like kissing your child on the top of the head. God is saying in these verses that I love you. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, look at this one. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved god chose you as the first fruits to be saved 2 Timothy 2:10 i'm just trying to make the point that it's all over the bible it's not in one place though that would be enough but it's everywhere 2 Timothy 2:10 therefore i endure everything for the sake of the elect this is paul That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I endure all of it for the sake of those that God has chosen. Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose you even before he created the world. To be in him. It's right there. And then John 15, 16, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. How more plain could that be? And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And if you're sitting here and you're a Christian, then I'd blow your shoes off. It's amazing because he didn't choose you because you're great. He already said that in Corinthians. He chose you because he just chose you. Because he's decided to put his favor on you. To call you his own. Just like he did with Israel, with Abraham, with David. That's what makes grace so amazing. Is he just chose you. Acts 13, 48, it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Does it get a lot clearer than that? Now, does this mean that we don't have a part to play? No, no. We have responsibility. We're real people with real decisions. And those decisions matter. But at the end of the day, it's God. It's God. And that's why I said, this teaching might make your view of God explode. And make it much bigger because you realize what he is doing to do a work of salvation in any one of our lives. But it isn't just salvation. I mean, God chooses lots of other things. God is in control of uh, your family. I didn't get to choose that my dad was going to be Tom Watson or my mom, Patricia. That happened. It just happened to me. I didn't get to choose. matter of fact, I'll never forget. One day I woke up, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, And I had an experience that I didn't wish I had, which was I looked in the mirror and I saw my hair's kind of red. And I was like, darn, I didn't want that. I wanted to be tall, dark, and handsome. You know, I didn't get to choose that. God decided that for me. That was a choice I didn't get. We honestly don't get to choose how we look, how good we think, or how bad we think, uh, in terms of just intelligence, Uh, how good we see or don't see, how good we hear or don't hear. When I got the tumor in my left ear and I lost all of my hearing, I didn't get a choice in that. It just happened to me, you know? So there's things going on all the time that we don't get to choose. The Word of God presents God. As the controller and disposer of all creatures. The word of God says he is the most high. The word of God says he is the ruler of heaven and earth. The word of God says no one can stand against him. He is the almighty who works all things after the counsel of his will and the heavenly potter who shapes men according to his own pleasure, Romans 9. In short, he is the decider and the determiner of every man's destiny and the controller of every detail that happens in the world, or he's not sovereign. How could there be one One maverick molecule in the universe that gets to decide, I'm going to go do this. And God's like, darn it. He did something I didn't want him to do. He's outside of my sovereign control. I wasn't in control of that. How stupid is that? Because he's not God if he's not in control of everything. And that can cause some problems for us. And it stretches us. But we know Romans 8.28, don't we? And you're going, I don't. What's Romans (laughs) 8.28? Romans 8.28 says, he, He works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. So though God is sovereign... And I may get in a car wreck when I leave here today, highly unlikely because I live tenth of a mile, but I could. I still know, even though evil is at work, nothing comes to me evil unless it passes through God. God is sovereignly in control of everything that happens in the world. He uses things that he hates Like evil and sin and cancer and disease, he uses things that he hates to accomplish the things he loves. He's God. He's so beyond us. He's so beyond us. But don't think for a moment that he's sitting up in heaven wringing his hands going, there's those maverick molecules down there that I can't control, and so they're just wreaking havoc on the earth, and I can't do anything about it. I'm so frustrated. That's just silly. He's not a frustrated God. He's a sovereign God, and he's in control. Now, the question that I have in my own study that I want to bring to you, hopefully will help, is why does God talk in the Bible so much about divine choice? We just looked at multiple verses. It seems like it's everywhere. It grows out of our text today. Why does God do this? I have three possible answers, and I'll give you these three, and we'll be done. The first one is this. God wants His children, just like we want our children, to know that they're chosen, loved, and He puts His favor on us. You know, just this last week, my youngest daughter Kelsey had a tonsillectomy, and then we didn't know it, but New Year's at about eleven fifteen, she just started spewing blood out of her mouth, and we took her to the ER, and we stayed till about four in the morning, and it finally it stopped. But then we, 36 hours later, it started again. So we went back to the ER and blood's just pouring, and I mean literally, y'all. I, might, you know, I don't panic in these situations because I, my dad made me like, hey, don't panic, you'll scare people and they'll go into shock and die, and you know <laughs> you don't do that. So, but she is leaning over, and I mean, just it's just coming out, and uh, so we take her back to the ER two days later. They do another surgery. They wake her up from the surgery. The doctor tells us this way. He said, you know, I didn't see a whole lot after what y'all told me about the blood. But then he said, when I woke her up and we pulled the tube out, the, the ventilator, it hit the artery. And that artery that had been bleeding just started spewing blood. And he said, then I knew that's what they're talking about. But I had to get the ventilator tube back in with all this blood everywhere, and she's awake so that we could get her back to sleep. And he said, somehow we get the tube back in, we get her back to sleep. I hope she doesn't remember any of that. And I went down deep in her throat with a tool and I sewed that artery and I think she's okay now. Was God not in control? I mean, couldn't he have found that before all of that? I think my answer is, yeah. God was in control. We could have been on our way home when that artery bust open again. God allowed that to work out in a good way. God is sovereignly in control of all things. There's nothing he is not in control of. And he wants, and this is where I was going with it, and I got sidetracked and chased a rabbit. I'm sorry. He wants us to know his love and favor. When my daughter was laying there waking up from surgery... I went over to the dry erase board. Nobody had to tell me to do this. I just wanted to do it. And I wrote on the dry erase board. She's unconscious almost, or she was. And I wrote, Kelsey, your daddy loves you. And I put the pen down. And when she woke up, she looked over there and she smiled. She could hardly even keep her eyes open. I want my children to know I love them. It's natural. God wants his people to know he loves them. He chooses them. He favors them. That's what what I want you to hear. That's what I want you to hear. It's built into our fabric. You remember when you were a kid and you were on the playground and it was kickball time? I don't know where you fit in the athletic spectrum, um, but some kids aren't that coordinated. I mean, they go to kick a kickball and they fall down, you know? They don't get picked very quick. So the blue team or whatever, and this team, and they go through and they pick this guy, and they pick that girl, and they pick this guy. And everybody has had the experience where at least you just hurt for the kid that didn't get picked. And maybe one of the captains said, I'd rather just not have her. We'll just play without. And she's over there going, I'm human. I got feelings here. Isn't it? It's built into the fabric of who we are. We want to be chosen. We want to be loved. We want to be favored. God is saying, I place my favor on you. You are chosen. The second thing, why would God do this? I think the, reason, the second reason God would have his divine choice all over the scriptures is this. God's divine choice expands another word that i use was explodes our view of god and his sovereignty ultimately i'm not so much into defending my choice as i am into defending god's choice i want to step away from man and being so man-centered and say you know god is sovereign he's god he's god I'm not. I'm just a man. He's God. But here's the thing in our text. He's a good God. He's a good shepherd. And he loves his people. But his people need to see that this God is way bigger than I think we think he is. And he's way more in control. The third reason, God's choice just swallows us up in God's grace and love. When you really see and understand that he chose you and you're his, it just swallows you in his grace and love. He puts his choice behind you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He puts his choice behind. For you, in you, he gives you the Holy Spirit, and he puts his choice in front of you, meaning you'll spend eternity with God in heaven. He did that. He did that. God talks about his choosing also to give us great assurance of his never ending love and good pleasure, not our works. Look at John 10, 28 in your your text there. We didn't read this today, but he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. So we're talking about these other shepherds. These other shepherds are jumping over the fence and they're stealing sheep. And Jesus says, you can't do that with my, my true sheep. My true sheep Know my voice. And they're going to follow me. They're not going to follow you. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious Pharisees. They're not going to follow you. They know my voice. And the other thing just, to, just ought to put on top of all of that is you can't get them out of my hand. You can't. And if we truly know Christ, and you may, you may challenge, find this hard to believe, But I can't mess this up. You can't mess it up. I can't sin bad enough to lose my salvation. It might be that if I go on in that trend of sinning that it reveals I never knew Christ. But it is His work that saves. So, this truth in John ten sixteen, that he has sheep, not of this fold, and that he needs to go bring them in, should give us in our efforts to share Christ with others great hope and conviction and energy that God already has some sheep, and he's going to bring them in, and he will use us in his gospel message. They will hear that gospel message, and it'll be like they hear his voice. And they will come. That's a promise from Jesus. This was the assurance that Peter Cameron Scott, the missionary to Africa, read on that tombstone. And he said to himself, I will go back to Africa and I will lay down my life for those people. And I will give the rest of my life for those people. What about you? Do you know his voice? Do you follow the good shepherd? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the truths of your word, for the way you call us and you have a divine choosing, we're grateful for that reality and that truth. Pray in Christ's name, amen.